0: you're here. It's good to see everybody tonight. Feels a little bit like fall outside. It kind of feels good. Uh, and a little crisp air that's going on. Well, I like it. Fall's my favorite season, so. Yeah, I just really like it. So, you so welcome. Let's start time in prayer. Father, thanks for loving us and thanks for your presence here. We thank you, God, for opportunity to meet. Uh, here in uh, this place that you provided. We ask that you would open up your word to us. I pray that we would have open ears and hearts and minds, that God, our spirit would be ready to receive. And we ask that you would speak, uh, speak to our point of need, desire, and want in our life. I pray that we would be able to receive of you tonight, and I ask you, God, that we'd be challenged. So have your way. Uh, Move. We ask, Father, that you be glorified, For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. righty. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11, if you need a Bible, grab one off the table. We have them available. And while you're turning to Numbers chapter 11, a quick reminder that we have an interactive feature with our Bible study, our podcast. And that is through the website www.speakpipe.com. Www.speakpipe, slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You can uh, put that into your web browser, and it'll bring you up to a page. You can toggle a button there and leave us a message. It's like leaving voicemail. Uh, It could be a question, comment. It could be just saying hi, letting us know where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you, and uh, encourage you to get in touch with us and avail yourself of that. Numbers chapter 11, you're going to volunteer to read verse 8. Alright, all right. so what are they talking about? It's uh, manna, right? Uh, manna is correct. <clears throat> and uh, I know we did a Bible study not that long ago on manna, but I want to really touch on a little bit different side of it here. Uh, if you read some of the verses before, number uh, verse 8 there, and some of the verses afterward, uh, you get a context for what's going on here. Uh, but what, what is happening is that the people had begun and they had started to complain about the food choices. They didn't like it. And it wasn't that they didn't like it, really. It was that they had become familiar with it. And because they had become familiar with it, they were craving something else. And so that daily familiarity had brought a disgust upon them concerning the manna. And it's described there as tasting like fresh oil, or if you look in Exodus 16.31, it said it tasted like wafers made with honey. So it had a sweet taste to it at some point or somehow, and uh, there were some other descriptors that were used for that, but I think it's kind of interesting. We don't really know what it is, Well, they didn't know what it was either. Uh, It was just described. Uh, Manna is kind of a word like, what is it, you know? What is it? I don't know. And they didn't know. Uh, They could describe it. It would appear as they gathered it to be like seeds, at least by the same size. Apparently, it was hard when they gathered it so that it could be milled or ground up. But if you left it on the ground long enough, it would just melt and would uh, be absorbed into the ground. So there wasn't any left over after the time of gathering. And it was useful for a specific time after it was gathered. And then that was it. That was the manna. And so that was God's provision for them. And that's what's important about it, is that it was God's gift. And it cost them nothing. The manna cost them nothing. So they longed for food, though that cost them everything. Because what were they longing for? They were longing for when they think about if you remember the the descriptors of what they were longing for, what would they always refer back to? Egypt, Egypt right. So what was Egypt to them? Well it was slavery. It was their freedom. It was their lives, it was hard labor. It was the curse. In other words, remember the curse over Adam? First, over Adam was, you'll work by the sweat of your brow. And the whole idea behind that was that they would work, and they'd work by the sweat of their brow, and by doing so, they would be able to struggle and be able to raise enough crops or or to raise enough uh, livestock that they could eat. And so that their existence would be, by the sweat of their brow, making enough so that they could survive. See, that's the curse. Now that sounds a lot like the Protestant work ethic. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with that, uh, it sounds a lot like the curse. and I'm not saying that to be rude, and I'm not saying that to just entirely just to be provocative, although I am saying it to be a slightly provocative, but I, I want you to think about that for a second in that if you were raised with that ethic. And if you're a Catholic, then it's the Catholic work ethic. I don't care. Anyway, uh, but if you were raised with that kind of a work ethic in your life, I want you to consider the fact that you were perhaps conditioned to live under the curse. That's what you were conditioned to do. And so you might want to think about that as you think about and consider what it is that you think about when you think about work, when you think about provision, when you think about God's hand in things, when you think about how God brings things to pass in your life. That there needs to be a certain point in our life where we make a transition. That we can make a transition about certain things in in our spiritual lives that God has done. We can make a transition, hopefully, about salvation. We can make a transition from trying to work under the law and and just toil and all of that to try to get God to like us, to transition from that to living a life where we believe that He does like us, that we can live in grace, we can live in His love, we can live in His forgiveness and His mercy, and and we can live in all that He has for us in those kind of things, in, in the spiritual realm in the spiritual places. And so people that hear that enough, people that read the Scriptures enough, people that allow that to soak into them enough, many people are able to at least make that part of the transition. But there's more than that. Because Jesus didn't live under the curse, any of it. He did not live under any of the curse. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that He was free from it. that that he was born of the Holy Spirit and of Mary. And so as he was born of the Holy Spirit and he was born of Mary, there was a freedom that he lived in and a freedom that he lived uh, out from under a curse that is upon all flesh. And so what happened was is that he showed us what it was to live outside of that. He demonstrated it. He demonstrated. I mean, when he needed money to pay his taxes, what happened? Right. Go out and catch a fish. Right? And they they caught a fish and they looked inside the fish. There was enough money for him and the guy he sent to to catch the fish. Go pay the taxes. Right? And so there's a supernatural provision to that. And notice he, he didn't get that by the sweat of his brow. Do you understand that? But he was able to just call upon his father who is completely and utterly able to provide any and everything that he would ever need. And so he called upon his father and his father provided and not only for him, but for the disciple that he had sent to catch that fish. And so the taxes were paid. Now you look at that and you think to yourself, all right, well, What does that mean? What that means is is that the provision that God has given us outside of the curse is the same provision that was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What did they do? They had jobs to do, but food was provided for them. I mean, animals were provided for them. Food was provided. Trees that bore fruit were provided. Anything that they needed, anything that they required was provided in that garden. And they went about the business that God had for them, whatever that was. We're going to tend the garden. But they didn't tend the garden in order to provide food for themselves. understand the difference? They didn't tend the garden to, to somehow, you know, till the ground to make sure they had enough to eat. They had all that they could ever want to eat. They could have all that they ever wanted to eat forever in the garden. And they weren't toiling, and they weren't working by the sweat of their brow to provide that fruit. It just grew on the trees, and they ate it. And so it was after they sinned, and after God cursed the ground, and after God cursed them, that they were cast out of that garden. And then that's when the toil started. That's when the whole, we're going to put thorns in the ground, and and you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and that's how you're going to somehow squeak out an existence after this. Well, Jesus didn't live like that. I mean, Jesus had stuff to do, right? I mean, he went about doing the Father's business. That's what he said. I'm going to do the work of the one who sent me. That's what he did. All right? And he may have worked as a... We don't know what his life was before his ministry. Uh, he, he his father was a carpenter he was likely a carpenter and he may have worked as a carpenter but there is no understanding that we have that he was scraping out an existence at any point in his life none and when he went about his ministry and he went about doing the stuff that he was doing we don't see that at all so in any recorded history anything you can look at in the Bible you don't see it and everything else we're assuming I have no idea and so I'm not saying that God causes people to be idle; He doesn't. I'm not saying that God doesn't give His people stuff to do; He does. And He gives us whatever He gives us to do in the field that He sends us in to do it. And I'm a firm believer that God wants teachers, God wants architects and professionals and people at the university and and and, and people in every field, in the medical field, or whatever, even lawyers. I think, but he wants people in every field, and, and he wants witnesses in those fields. He wants engineers. He wants uh, scientists that, that are going to represent him and going to be his people in whatever field it is. That's what he's looking for. He, he likes that, and so people get educated, and they go into those fields, and, and he has them there, but never make the mistake ever, no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing, about where your provision comes from. Don't choose to live under the curse. And and that's what I'm really encouraging you toward. Am am I saying that, you know, I'm not afraid to work, and I don't think anybody here is afraid to work. That's not really the point, though. The point is, is that God has provided for us. God continues to provide for us. We have a loving Father that gives. And He wants us to live in that provision. He wants us to live in that peace. And He wants us to live in that rest. That's what He has for us. I remember early on in my Christianity, there was a guy uh, that I met, and one of the first things he did when he saw me, he broke the spirit of poverty over my life. Which broke an attitude in me. And, and you can think that's woo-woo or whatever you want to think about it. I don't care. I just know my life changed. That I can tell you. Because something broke in me, and I believed it broke in me when he did it. And and that was it. And I knew from that point forward and from that moment forward that something was different and things were going to change, and they did. And 30 plus years later, I look back on my life seeing how they changed, and they did. They continue to change. But that's the God we serve. As you look at these, the people here, and you see the manna, it's like, the the Bible tells us that God, I mean, that was his gift to them. It cost them nothing. And there's a lot of good stuff that we can learn from the manna. Because it was good to eat. It was good. And it tasted good. It's described two different ways, one like it had a honey taste and one like it tastes like fresh oil. I'll take either one. I mean I eat oil by the spoonfuls every day. Just oil. And I have different kinds of oil. I'll eat avocado oil, I'll eat olive oil, I mean I'll eat whatever. I don't care. Whatever I can get. Coconut oil. I like it. And and that's a good taste. Honey's a good taste to me. I'll eat honey. So it tasted good, it was nutritious, it provided everything that they needed, and it was good for them, and it appeared every day, and it was free, except for Sunday. But they had enough on Saturday that they could go get through Sunday. And so all of these things, it was all given to them, and yet they became so familiar with it every day, so familiar, that it disgusted them. What does that tell you? Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately for us, that is part of the human condition, which means you have to fight it if you don't want to live that way. You ever you ever see that with people, where they get upset with something or somebody or, or, or some situation, like at a job, like you got somebody that has a job, a good job, a good paying job, a job that is... You know, awesome for them, a job that works in their schedule, a job the people are nice, it's, it's a great job, but they will find something wrong with it and just hate it oh, yeah. and then begin to sabotage it and finally either get fired or quit. To go to what? To go to what? Delta right. <laughs> or wherever. And, and that's what's interesting about it is that we will sabotage our lives in order to scratch whatever itch familiarity causes. Whatever it is. And that can happen in relationships. That can happen with jobs. That can happen with God. That can happen spiritually. That can happen with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. That can happen with the Word of God. Reading. That can happen with worship. That can happen with whatever. Prayer. That can happen with fasting can happen with any portion of our spiritual, physical, emotional life. It can happen anywhere because it's part of the human condition. And you have to fight it. You have to fight it. You're going to fight it with truth. You're going to fight it with truth. Because this stuff that appeared, whatever it was, what is it? Manna. What is that? Manna. And whatever it appeared, and that whatever that stuff was, it was nutritious, it was delicious, and it was free. But they they grew so much contempt for it through familiarity because they saw it every single day. Every day they saw it. They grew so just disgusted with it that they began to long for food that cost them everything. If we were only back in Egypt, yeah, yeah, as slaves, as slaves in hard labor, Hard labor, slavery. But if we we're only back there, man, we have fish, and garlic, and leeks, and onions. Mm. So good. It wasn't very good, but they—they they were convincing themselves it was good. Good, yeah. Hard labor, slavery. Hard labor. I'll just say that again. Hard labor, slavery. It's like wanting to go to prison so you can get HBO or something. I don't have any idea. (laughs) Hard labor slavery. Even worse than prison. For garlic and leeks and onions. And some fish. But that's how much they hated what they had. Don't hate what you have. Especially when God gives it to you. Don't hate what God has provided in your life. Yeah. Isn't that the human condition? Don't we want to be God? Okay. So if you don't fight it, what happens? If you don't don't fight that that human condition, it rises up. It raises up in us. Same with selfishness. Same with uh, whatever. I mean, pride or whatever it is. They all raise up in us if we don't fight them. But part of knowing... A part of the fight is knowing what you need to fight. And this is one of those things that you need to fight. That, that whole, I'm disgusted with what I'm familiar with. Because what you're familiar with, what you see every day, may be the absolute best. It may be. And you just are so blind to it because of whatever that condition is that blinds us to those things that you will walk away from the absolute best to scratch an itch that you really don't even have. Unless you want to count it as a curse. And that's too bad. It's too bad. Because most of us have had those situations in our life where we can only see that in retrospect. Looking back, saying, man, I should have never done that. That was stupid. All right. So catching something like that in the moment is important. This is an important moment to catch it in. To say, you know what? No. No. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this tendency. I'm going to fight this thing in me. I'm going to fight this lie in my life. I'm going to do it. I will not succumb to this curse. I will not succumb to this lie. I will not allow the human condition to rule me. I won't do it. And we make a better decision because of that. So here they were. Well, let's look at it. Well, let's look at the manna as God's provision. And and just let that begin to expand out in your mind a little bit as to what that maybe speaks to that God is doing in our lives now. I mean, we don't go out on our lawn and gather manna every morning, but God's still providing, right? God's still giving. God's still pouring out. God's still blessing. It, it's it's fact. So whether or not we're going out to gather the seeds in the lawn, there's stuff to gather. There's stuff to receive. There's stuff to accept. There's stuff to recognize. There's stuff to see. Just have to rejoice in all of these things we have opportunity for every single day that God is providing. Well, that's every single day. And they went out and they gathered. Well, where was it? Where'd the manna fall? Everywhere, all around the camp. You see, manna was no respecter of tribe or person. Didn't matter if you're the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Levi, tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't matter. You, you you still got manna fell right by your tent. You had it. Didn't matter who you were. You could have been the lowliest family, the lowliest, the lowliest family in the tribe of Dan. You still had manna. Yep. You still had manna. So, so all of the the, the manna just had no respecter of persons. Now, why is that important to us? Why is it important that manna fell everywhere, no respecter of persons, no respecter of tribe, every single day, except for Sundays. When I say every day, just put in your head the exception of Sunday, when it fell on Saturday, it could gather twice as much. I don't want to keep saying that over and over again. So it fell, irrespective of who, tribe, what, family, individual, didn't matter, it fell everywhere every day. What's important about that? Provision is for everyone. Provision, right, is for everybody. So that voice in your head said, well, that's for them, but not for me. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. You got to shut that down. You, know, you got to shut down... What what? Did Ridge gets the machine say? Shut down the devil's sound. That's right. <laughs> and shut it down. And that's the truth. Because... What happens is, is the moment that you can make an excuse to to be poor, you'll do it. The moment that you can make an excuse to be left out, you're going to do it. I'm not talking to everybody here, I'm talking to most of you. The moment that you can make yourself an exception to a great rule that God has, you're going to do it. And you're going to put yourself into that category. That's what you're going to do, because that's what we do. People, in general, do that. And so, whatever your hang-up is, whatever it is, that thing that, that you, you're, you know, I don't know, or this I think, or whatever it is, or i got this problem, or you know I'm not really there, or whatever you say to yourself, whatever those words mean, I have no idea, but they mean something to you, and you use them as an excuse to exclude yourself from what God has. Stop it stop it shut down the lies and get up and get the provision that God has for you all right? Because manna falls everywhere even by your tent even by the lowliest person in Israel's tent there was manna every morning by the tent because that's how God provides now, what does that doesn't mean the New Testament so we look at Romans chapter two. Romans 2, verses 9 through 11. Romans 2, verses 9 through 11. Read it! Uh, if you get that, you can read it. will <laughs> be All right, so the part you need to, to hear in that is like, you know, bad bad happens to bad, good happens to good, whatever you want to read in that. But what God is saying there is this: is that He doesn't He shows no partiality. We don't serve a God that shows partiality. That's it. And so these people are all worried about. Well, I wasn't born Jewish. Am I still going to be able to receive the blessing, or you know, whatever it is? It's like yes, yes, you're all good. Because right, he's writing to the Romans, right? They weren't born Jewish, most of them. And so they're like, are we still in? Is it okay? Do I qualify? Am I, am I going to qualify for what you're talking about here, Paul? You know, the stuff you mentioned, the good stuff, like salvation and knowing Jesus and healing and the baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and, uh, and all the resurrection and all that. Do we qualify for that? That's what they wanted to know because they weren't born in Israel. They weren't the same as Paul. Paul was a Pharisee Out of the Pharisees. He was born Jewish. These people were not. And so Paul was talking, and they say, well, you got all these great things. These are all the benefits of knowing God. And so their big question was, because what are they going to do if they can exclude themselves? They're going to do it? Yeah, they're going to do it. And come up with an excuse. Well, we weren't born Jewish. Well, it must not apply to us. So Paul addresses that here. He's like, yeah, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. God does not show any partiality. And that's talking about New Testament stuff. That's talking about Jesus. That's talking about all the stuff that Jesus talks about. That's that's all that stuff that seeks first the kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these? Shall be added unto you. You You see the flowers of the field? Even Solomon wasn't dressed as nicely as they are. Yeah. And they neither toil nor spin. Alright? That's what Jesus said. Well, well, who's that for? Me. You. Yeah. I unashamedly receive that. I just do. I unashamedly do. I want that. I I am not one to turn it down. Yeah, God, why don't you save that good stuff for those other people that are more needy. I'll work my ass off and sweat and do it myself. Yeah? That's a lie of the devil. and how many christians are doing that right now yeah way too many and by ass of course i meant donkey in in a figurative sense of working in the field <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah because a discontented mind will find fault in that which has no fault. That which will. It will find fault in that which has no fault. And that could be anything. That could be Jesus. That could be His provision. That could be in salvation. That could be in healing. That could be in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That could be in the gifts of the Spirit. That could be in the mercy of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. They'll find something wrong with it. People find something wrong with everything people find stuff wrong with everything. nothing's ever good enough. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but some people you you could it could be Jesus himself talking to them and they'd still find something wrong with him can't they can't live they can't abide can't abide without that be glad because their heart is discontented it's hard for' them heart Well, Jesus wants to heal that he wants to heal it and he wants to set it free the discontented heart and so they took the uh, let's look at what happened with the manna so it's for everybody I got to go out and gather it did you, did you see they had a part in it though oh, get it. they didn't just sit in their tent and the, and the manna didn't just show up in the pot. They had a part to play. Remember I, I talked about that in the garden? Adam and Eve, they had stuff to do. God said, well, go tend the garden. Okay. But they weren't working by the sweat of their brow to provide food for themselves. And they weren't working by the sweat of their brow to provide this food either. They just had to go gather it. They had to go get it. So they went out every morning. They went out and they gathered it in and they brought it in. So they had a part to play. Then what they have to do with it in the verse? What did it say? They would do something else with it. it. Hmm? Well, they'd grind it up. So they'd either grind it up in mills or they would beat it like with a mortar and pestle. Uh, and then they'd boil it up in pots or bake it. You know, so they'd make it. So they cooked it kind of like grits or bread. That's how they cooked it. Yeah. If you don't know what grits are, Google it. But they cook it like grits or bread and and then they could eat it. However they're gonna eat it. But again, is it interesting that they still had a part to play in it? They weren't producing it somehow by the sweat of their brow, it was given to them. But they were still actively involved in actually making it and producing something that they could eat out of it. And so we have a part to play with God. There's always a part to play. People are like, people that just sit around, they're like, all right, Lord, lay it on me, lay it on me. yeah.
1: <laughs> well,
0: yeah, you know, we have a part to play in, it's called hearing what he says. You remember this part? In doing it, man. It is fundamental to our relationship with God. What Jesus do? What did he say? He's like, I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. So he spoke with the Father on a daily basis. He got the download on a daily basis. is what I have for you to do. And he went out and he did it. And so he's actively involved in doing what the Father had. And while he's actively involved doing what the Father had for him, the Father's providing. The Father is pouring out blessing. The Father is with him. The Holy Spirit is with him. And there's fruit following what he's doing. Awesome. But everybody's doing their part. And all I can say is, figure out what your part is and do it. That's all. And and you hear me say that a lot because I mean it. But you hear me say that a lot because it's an important thing that you don't just come in and sit down and, oh, I'm here to receive. Well, sometimes you are. But if you're here to receive all the time, that's not how it works. That is not how this works. It's not how the kingdom works. That we hear and then we do. People come here and they heal up sometimes. Good. They need to spend some time. They need to heal up. Sometimes people need to rest for a while. Good, rest. Get rested up. And no problem with either one of those things. I think those things are awesome, and I think they're great things for people that need that. But for your average, everyday, I'm a a child of God kind of person, we need to get to it. And we need to stay with it. And in the midst of that, what we find out is that we serve a God who not only loves us, cares for us, He's looking out for us, but He's a provider, a protector. He's a comforter. He's a loving Father. Now, are we earning that? No. No. And I'm not implying that. I hope you're not hearing that. I'm just saying, get to what He has for you. Did Jesus earn the Father's love? No, He had the Father's love. He just went about the Father's business. Do we earn the Father's love? No. Do we earn Jesus' love? No, but we just need to be about His business. It's a different perspective. It's a different way of looking at what God's called us to and who He's called us to be. Just to be about His business. There's a parallel often drawn between manna and Jesus. How they had to beat it and kind of bust it up a little bit and get it ready for cooking. You can find Isaiah 53.4 kind of speaks to that. And Jesus did refer to himself as the bread of life. He did. Anybody want to read Isaiah 53 4? Just real quick. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. All right. And so Jesus, in in really fulfilling His purpose that He came here for, had to be broken, had to be afflicted, and had to be smitten in order to become the most useful that He was going to be. And that was that He died for our sins. And after He died, He rose again. The culmination of everything, the, the 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 very pinnacle of everything, was based on that. Sometimes things have to be broken in order to be useful. They just do. And I don't think we're any exception to that. Jesus was no exception to that. I don't think we are either. But the end result is described. There's a literal word there that's used in the Hebrew that describes you know what the product of all the manna was once it was prepared and cooked. The word there is, is called a dainty. Kind of a weird word right? But what uh the picture that he gives us is something juicy, and that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good, yeah, yeah, so something good comes out of the brokenness, just like with Jesus, something good came out of the brokenness, just like us, something good comes out of the brokenness, and that's hard to see when you're broken. It is. It's hard to see that, well, something good's going to come out of this one day. You should tell yourself that, and you should remind yourself that, always. But it's hard to see. And so sometimes you just got to keep reminding yourself of that until you actually see it someday. (laughs) And just keep going. Say, well, can God use me? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Now you think about it. You think about how bad, how bad, a lot of the church is, and and I guess I'm sounding negative towards the church, but I, I just want you to hear me, because I ca- I came out of this, that you know something somebody's broken. What's what church want to do with a broken vessel? You tell me. What do you want to do with that? What's the easiest thing to do? Throw it away. Yeah, throw it away. Easiest thing to do is throw it away. Nobody wants to look at that thing. I'll bust it up. Nobody wants to take the time to see that thing restored. Nobody. Well, hopefully somebody. They love that. Yeah, they. they where would we see that? The gold. I just saw, I just saw an article on it recently about them using the gold to put the plates back together and how they consider that art and more valuable, yeah, but we're not really like that, we're disposable, you know, kind of disposable generation of people, busts or it ain't no sort out, we don't even try to fix it, you know, people that raised me, they weren't like that, man, they tried to fix everything. And they were using stuff half broken all the time. I have to I have to stop myself from doing that because the stuff I'm trying to use half broken isn't worth it. It's just not worth it. I mean I've got a snow shovel in my garage that I've put together like four times and changed the handle out on. It's a snow shovel. I love that shovel. It's time to go. Oh, okay. All right, I I gave it to someone else. (laughs) No, it's not, actually. I love that shovel. This is a different shovel that I had to drill. I had to re-drill it and put another uh, uh, screw in it with a lock washer on it and stuff. And I've I've fixed it like four times. I love that shovel, but, you know, it's got to go. But there's something to be said for not giving up. Not giving up on yourself and not giving up on the people around you. Because people are of much more value than snow shovels. And they can't be replaced. They cannot be replaced like an item can. And so it's worth the effort to see it through. And to see restoration in people. Well, if you do something really bad, so, so, it's worth it. It's just worth it. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted Empire Records. When they asked Joe, it's like, are you going to fire me? And his answer was, have I fired anybody else today? Why would I start with you? Yeah. I've quoted that so many times to people are like, well, do I need to leave? Like, if I asked anybody else to leave, why would I start with you? Why, yeah, so what does God think about people who groan and murmur? any ideas? He doesn't like that <laughs> he doesn't like it, he doesn't like the groaning and the murmuring. he just doesn't, uh, yeah and and the the people that groan and murmur, it's like some misfortune fell upon them when really that's not the case, but they're going to groan and murmur. It's like like these people that are moaning and- mur, groaning and murmuring about his free provision for them they're about the manna, you know like like the manna is some misfortune that's come their way, and so the, that's why he doesn't like it i mean they're they're looking at his provision, they're staring at his provision. And, and the good provision that he's given them, and they're complaining about it. They're, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I'm always careful with them, because cause it's, it's us. It's us. I'm always really careful with them. They are us. and And that ingratitude that they show is in us. And so... They're groaning and they're murmuring. Uh, God manifests his power. You can read what he did. But God manifests his power to destroy murmuring. And I believe he still does that in us. Because he wants us to, to, to joyfully receive what he has for us. And not to hate the very provision that he gives. It breaks my heart to see that when people do that to other people. And I've seen it so many times. Just God's provision in their life and they just hate Him. It's so hard to watch. We had a Bible. Let's look at uh, Philippians 2.14. Somebody want to look that up? We got a few verses to look at. Philippians 2:14 All right. Now you're good. So like even you hear that, what stood out to you in that verse? So everything is an all-inclusive word, right? What's left out? No thing, right? So without what groaning and complaining, and then what's the result of living that way? How are they described? What are the, the there's words in front of that though? Blameless and innocent. Yeah, I want to be blameless. I figured innocent left a long time ago. But if I can address, if I can resist, if I can say no to murmuring and complaining in my life, if I can fight that effectively, this is what I look like. This is what I look like. I look like innocent, blameless, shining. In other words, standing out so that others will notice in a crooked and perverse generation of people who are complaining and murmuring all the time. Let me look at James 5.9. All right, so now this is talking about in our relationships to one another, all right, specifically. And now I've included that in all the other descriptors of what I've talked about, but in James, they, he really emphasizes our relationships. And remember, it's the familiarity that breeds the contempt. So who are we talking about? The people that you see All the time. People you're closest to. People that you're in relationship with. People you work with. People that you're around. People you go to church with. People in your kinship. That's familiarity. And that breeds contempt unless you fight it. What happens if you don't fight it? What does it say there? Yeah, I don't want that. I'd rather be blameless and innocent and shine. Yeah, I don't think I want that. So I need to fight that. I'm going to fight that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to fight it. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So we get some positive as to what it should look like about loving each other, about giving, about even facing maybe some inconvenience for one another out of love. Hmm. Yeah, it could happen. Something about human beings is very inconvenient. (laughs) I mean, it just is. We start off that way too. If you've ever been around babies, they're so inconvenient. I mean, they're inconvenient at night. They're inconvenient in their diapers. They're inconvenient to travel with. They're inconvenient to go to restaurants with. They're just inconvenient. We start off inconvenient and just stay inconvenient. Just stay that way. You know? So you want to be around people, you want to have relationships with people, mm, there'll be a little bit of inconvenience. Just accept it. It's kind of the way it is. Uh, how it works. Yeah. Okay, Jude. Jude one sixteen. People are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They both cut themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. All right. So that's in the middle of a descriptor about people you don't want to be, okay? That's right in the middle. That, that's just right in the middle. Grumblers and fault finders and they, they're they only concerned about themselves and they're prideful and they're self-centered and, yeah, we just don't want to be that way. The interesting, grumbling is right in there. It's like right in there. It's part of the human condition. you got to fight it. you got to fight it absolutely just flows right out of us. you gotta fight it i think and and this is just my theory here and i probably could get to it if i needed to but i'm going to give it to you just as my thought on it that grumbling and complaining is a key component to get rid of it is to live and to be free of that is to be the people god wants us to be i think it's a key step in that I think it's a key step in receiving His provision in our life. I think it's a key thing in, in just living the way that He calls us to live. I think it's a key step in receiving more of His grace and forgiveness in our life, of being a forgiving people and a people full of grace, a people full of mercy, being able to receive and minister mercy. I think all of that's tied into being able to live without the grumbling and complaining. Because I think as we recognize, as we recognize God's blessing in our life, as we appreciate it, even the same thing every day, even familiar stuff, as we really, really appreciate it and we learn to value those kind of things, I think our hearts change. I think our minds change. And and I think we become a people with less bitterness and and less anger about nothing. Because that's what it is. And there's a real freedom and liberty in that. So I'm going to ask you to take a few moments, and as the Bible says, examine yourself. Examine yourself. And there's nothing bad about that. It's a good thing to examine yourself sometimes. We, we just heard something that could be a, a good key thing in our life to deal with. That it might be something to recognize in our lives, and it might be something that we can fight And and we can really not just accept and roll with in our life. And so I just want to encourage you to examine yourself. And wherever you see that, wherever you see that discontentment, wherever you see that grumbling and complaining, wherever wherever you see that rising up in you, it's time to fight. And so I want to encourage you to to do that tonight. So as you're just sitting there, let's just uh, kind of dial into that dial into uh that space of i'm looking at myself i'm looking at the stuff that i'm complaining about right now i'm looking at the stuff that i'm grumbling about right now i'm looking at the stuff that i'm seeing every day and i'm starting to hate but that stuff is your provision god So, Father, I pray that as we begin to identify things in our life, in these areas, I pray, God, that you would cleanse our hearts and cleanse our minds from that kind of grumbling and complaining and that kind of discontentment. God, I pray that uh, we would begin to do battle against those kind of lies, we do battle against those kind of deceptions, that curse in our life. Because, man, that's an old, old lie. That is an old, old deception. It is so old and brings about such a curse. Jesus said, thank you that you came to set us free. That you said we'd be born of the Spirit, just like you were born of the Spirit. And we don't have to live under that curse we don't have to live that way anymore, and so God, I pray that not only would you set us free theologically, like that, oh, I can quote the scripture, so it must be true, but you really set us free in our spirits tonight, that we've been born anew, born of the Spirit, born of water, same as you were born of the Spirit, God. That Jesus, you you came and manifested born of the Spirit, born of water, to show us how it's done. Thanks. Thanks. I just pray life, life into each one of us tonight. I pray life into our spirit, life into our heart, life into our mind, life into our emotional center. Life. 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 Thank you, Jesus. I just want to say for all of us, thank you for your provision in our lives. Thank you for all that you pour out and all the good stuff that you have for us. Even if it's just the same every day, it's still good. Even if it's, if it's the same old, same old, it's still good. And those people that are in our lives that have been so good to us, thanks for that provision. Even if they're the same old, same old every day. Thanks. Pray, God, that we would, the appreciation in us would grow toward what you've given us. The appreciation that's in us would grow toward the people that you've given us. The appreciation in us would grow toward the things that you've given us, the provision in our lives. Seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. Going about your business. Going about the stuff that you have for us to do. And I thank you all these things, all these things will be added to us. Thanks for doing that, God. We receive of you. We'll give you thanks tonight. We'll give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. We super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community. Like the comunidad. Well, see, a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997.